Amen. And at this time, uh, Kay Ribble is going to... Kay Olson, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Kay. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> going to lead us in our, our script reading today. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Rid yourself, therefore, of the malice and all the guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it may you, or it, so that by it you may grow through into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to him a living stone, through, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Thank you, Kay. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, today I'd like to start with a very controversial statement, really get your attention here. Everyone here wants to be loved, to be known, to be seen and appreciated deeply for who you really are. Do you agree with that statement? I hope so. <laughs> I would argue that there's no greater feeling than what I just described, to be around people whom you feel understand you, who you can be yourself around, and who accept you even on your worst days, or even if you're crying before them, or, or, or whatever it is. You're, you're just really, you're not having to put on any kind of a mask, or put up any sort of a fakeness. You're just being your true, honest self, and the response that you get to that is, feeling so loved and appreciated. Gosh, it just makes me smile just saying it. Doesn't it feel good just to even think about it? I tell you, this is what I value the most about becoming a church member at uh, the church I always talk about at Lake City UMC. And it was something I'd never really experienced before, that as I was willing to make myself vulnerable and enter into things that I was not comfortable with, like a small group, or perhaps that I'd just never done before, or going over to people's homes that, like Dean and Sandy, it would be people about your age that would say, do you want to come over for supper? That was pretty new for me. <laughs> and I would say, sure, let's do that. And as I grew into relationship with some of those folks, I realized, well, they're living out their Christian faith, and I can like share stuff with them and be honest with them in ways that I've never been able to with any of my other friends from other parts of my life, unless we'd had about 10 beers, maybe, <laughs> if I'm being honest about that time of my life. And it took time to, to gain more comfort level and trust, but eventually I came to really love the huge hugs that I would get from many, many members at that church. And when I would just be able to say with great sincerity and honesty 
what was going on in my life, whether it was work or my family life or my uh, other aspects of my personal life, or as I shared with them, this exciting journey with Gina, you know, all the ups and downs of dating, it's terrifying sometimes. <laughs> Just sharing life together. And wouldn't it be great if we felt even some degree of that in many areas of our lives? I wonder, is there a place or are there certain people whom you feel that way with in your life? I'm guessing, I'm hoping that within your most immediate family, you feel that way in some degree. You feel like, well, I can just come home and I can say whatever's on my mind and they may tune me out eventually if they've heard it a million times, but, <laughs> but they really are willing to listen to whatever it is that I have to say. They're willing to see the things that maybe I don't even like about myself and they still love me the same. Where do you feel deeply loved in this way, seen, feeling seen or known or valued? I doubt if you feel that way, say, on the internet. I don't know if anybody feels seen or known in that way. I'm guessing it's a real struggle to feel that way in your workplace or maybe even here at this church that when you come here, you don't necessarily feel like the people that you talk to know the most deep things about you, but instead they just kind of know more of what's going on in your life, where you work, who you're friends with, how old your kids are, those types of things. But what I see in our world today is this growing disconnect between who we really are as people, like the one that, the kind of person that the people who know us best would see, who we really are, our true selves, there's a growing disconnect between that person and who others know us to be. We put on our best selves around a lot of people because it keeps us from the risk of being hurt or rejected or maybe getting into conversations that make us feel uncomfortable. And so I wonder how well do we even know ourselves if we're constantly bombarded with information and opinions from others and we're very rarely being our true and honest selves around people other than maybe our spouse or our best friend. There is a consequence to this kind of guarding that we have in our lives. Did you know that many studies have shown that 60% of Americans today are are experiencing intense loneliness? 60%. So, you know, just imagine if we split up half of this room. Half of you, and I'm guessing that many of you feel this way right now. I experience loneliness on a regular basis. 60% of Americans are experiencing intense loneliness. Yet the irony of that is that we're more connected than we've ever been in history. I can, you know, if I really wanted to, which I don't, by the way, I could go and say, well, I know what Christy's doing this weekend. I know what Natalie's doing this weekend. I know what Trevor and Miranda are doing this weekend because I saw it on Facebook. But yet, that doesn't help me to know Trevor and Miranda or to know Helen or Deb. That doesn't help us to feel any more connected to have deep love and appreciation for one another, just to know information about one another. And this, to be fair, was a growing trend well, well before the internet was even around, which was, I can remember when I was 10 years old, it started to show up. (laughs) Because as people, we tend to put on our best selves around others. Maybe because we're afraid of what will happen if people know that ugly stuff about us. If they really knew how mad I get sometimes when I'm talking about people that I don't agree with. 
or if they really know how sad and scared I am sometimes when things aren't going, my well in, going that well in my life. We, we don't like that feeling. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do when they are caught in their sin? They covered themselves. They were ashamed and they hid. They hid from God and as a consequence, we begin to start hiding from each other. This loneliness that's happening in our world today is probably the most serious challenge that we have. Because when we're lonely, we're not our best selves. And we grow further and further apart from one another. But the contrast to this is Christ's church. It's supposed to be made up of people who are committed to following Jesus, becoming like Him in character, and serving Him out of gratitude for His love for us. It was, always, it was always meant to be a place, going back to Jesus with his disciples, it was always meant to be a place where we could discover who we really are. People who are loved deeply by God. That's who we are. That's our, our, our core identity. As we read last week and today, at the very end of the text today, Peter tells these early Christians that they are not whoever the world says they are, or maybe even who you say you, you are to yourself, but that you are in fact precious in God's eyes. Deeply loved by God. Behind all masks, behind all guilt, behind all shame, Christ loves us beyond comprehension. Can we receive that truth? And in the life of the church, we discover that Christ's love, we discover Christ's love for us, and we take his word seriously when he says in John chapter 13, I give you a new commandment. This is a commandment from Christ that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how you should love one another. That sounds nice in the Sunday school lesson. But if we really took inventory about the types of relationships and the depths of relationships within the average church, I'm not picking on our church today, within the average church, how many people could say that they have anything close to that kind of relationship? I'm not talking about having coffee together or having lunch together or even doing Wednesday night together. I'm talking about this type of deep love for one another. Being deeply known by one another. This is a journey of self-discovery for us, clearly, because not everybody, I've had to learn, not everybody thinks about who am I and why do I do the things that I do? Why do I make the choices that I do in my life? But this journey of self-discovery for us, combined with Christ's command to love each other in the same way, becomes a building block for Christian community. It must be to be Christian community, it must be built upon this foundation of accepting Christ's love for us and saying that is the most important truth of my life, that I am precious in God's eyes and I get to respond to that truth through living life in the church. That's the most important building block. And that's essentially what Peter is laying out for these Christians who are going through really difficult times. <laughs> Sounds maybe like what the church is entering into today, does it not? Fear of what's going to happen. Fear of possibly being persecuted if we believe certain things about our faith. And so Peter is encouraging the Christian church saying, you may be rejected by the world, but you must remember that you are precious in God's eyes. 
And he describes the type of community that we're supposed to have together. And he says it like this. Have genuine, mutual love. Love one another deeply from the heart. Genuine, mutual love for one another. And love one another deeply from the heart. How can you endure the challenges and the trials that you're about to face? By loving each other in this way. The Christian church has always been intended to be a place where we could where we're going to be in deep and meaningful loving relationships built upon the foundation of Christ's love for us so that we can be united with one another and endure anything that we would face. If we made a commitment to love one another in this, with this kind of depth, as scary as it is, as different as it is, you may not have experienced this kind of love ever in your life before, But it is true that if we loved each other in this way, we could care less what happens in the world around us because we would experience the peace, the joy, the love, the hope that comes from being in Christian community where we believe and trust that the Spirit of the risen Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit is dwelling within our hearts and in our community. So then, instead of putting all this energy into putting on masks and playing nice, playing church with one another, we can fully maximize our energy and our resources to the task of bringing healing and hope to the world. Doesn't that sound nice? But I think we all know what churches have a reputation for. And again, this didn't start recently. And you may not agree with this synopsis, but it is... uh, a well-known fact, many, many surveys had been done about Christians and people's perceptions of Christianity, that they only care about themselves, that they only care about fulfilling their budget, that they only care about getting more people into the pews, but they don't actually care about the people themselves. Another word for this is hypocrisy. What Peter calls it is insincerity, which simply means insincerity or all of these other behaviors that Peter talks about, malice, envy, slander, come from being insincere, from not really loving people as you love yourself. So it's putting on a mask, pretending to be someone that we're not, rather than being seen and known. And so we guard ourselves by playing a character, either here at our church or When you go out into the community, you might be one person when you're with your group of friends for coffee. You might be one different person when you're in your workplace. You might be another person altogether when you're with your friends from college. And you say, well, they let me just kind of cut it loose. (laughs) That's putting on a mask. That's not living your life out of this premise that you are precious in God's eyes. So here's an example for you. You may think, well, that doesn't describe me at all, Pastor Chad, you're just being mean. <laughs> Here's an example for you. You're in a meeting or you're having a conversation with someone at our church and they say something that you disagree with or it even offends you a little bit. But instead of showing courage, whether within that meeting or within that conversation, instead of showing courage and saying, you know, I don't think that's right. Or, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but that's not what I believe. Instead of doing that and speaking the truth in love, which is a command in other places in the Scriptures, you put on a smile, 
Pretend everything is fine. Nod a little bit. Go along with the rest of the meeting or conversation or perhaps just walk away from the conversation and talk to somebody else. And then you go home to someone you feel like you can be your real self around and you complain about that person or that conversation or that group of people. You slander or gossip about them. And when it shows up in a church like governance structure and meetings, it completely undergirds any kind of progress or productivity because now instead of having meaningful disagreement and conversation that can lead to better ideas, now you've got kind of a growing bitterness that finds itself in a different area of the church. Uh Uh-oh. The uh, camera is dying, I think. So you put on a smile, you pretend everything's okay. But imagine if you were able to trust that Christ loves you even when you're saying the hard thing. Even when you have to risk being seen to be vulnerable. You can act and speak with courage and compassion. That's a critical piece. It doesn't just mean we say, well, let me, let me tell you, you're an idiot for saying that. That's, it, you, you speak with compassion of saying, okay, let me remember this truth that I'm in a deep, loving, committed Christian relationship with you because you are, we, say, we like to say this, we're part of a church family, but that just kind of can be a pretense, like we're doing pretend family because we're not actually being honest with each other like we have to in our real families. So we just come here and play nice. And don't actually try to engage in this kind of meaningful, loving relationship that can actually energize us towards God's future and bring about the best ideas. I've seen this recently in one of our uh, Ad Council meetings. We talked about, uh, I'm going to explain to you this diagram over here in a second, we talked about it. And people shared ideas that were disagreeing with the common consensus. Maybe three-quarters of the room said, we should do this. And then uh, two or three other people said, you know, I don't really think that's the best idea. And I could tell that that was uncomfortable because that's not the norm of church culture. If you get, kind of gain a census of where everything's going, it takes real courage to say, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> but we actually reached the best possible outcome because those people were willing to disagree because they felt like every person in that room loves them enough to hear their opinion and that they're not going to get their heads bitten off. This may sound like a lecture, and I promise you it's not. It's a call to a higher level of existence for a church. Because this is another thing that I've seen, not in this church, but another one, that this kind of like not having deep relationships where we have compassion for one another. It's not the culture. And I witnessed uh, someone volunteering for a, a Wednesday night program like what we're starting here. And there was a couple different trash cans out. And if you went to that church, you knew that, well, one of them you put, your, you put all your garbage into. Oh, that, that's what it was. And then the food scraps you're supposed to put into the food processor. And I'm standing there, and I know the guy who, who was in charge of the whole operation. And I'm standing there, and a new person comes up, and 
who wouldn't just throw their entire plate into the trash can? And they come up and they throw their, their plate into the trash can. And God bless his heart, this guy, no, 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 screaming at the person. You know, what are you doing? You can't do that. Honest to God, if that were me, I would have never come back. Because we have to understand that while this may have been acceptable in the past to just sort of come here and do the social kind of thing of church, that's a big reason why we don't have full pews right now. It's because people, can, and I've heard endless stories like this, friends. I'm not just trying to pick on you. Endless stories like this, and even recent ones, because that used to be an acceptable church culture for whatever reason, that we could just come here and, and fill certain roles and that if somebody wasn't doing things right, we could just really be mean to them to try and whip them into shape. And I know from my own experience that people my age, younger, probably all people, this is the truth for them. They have to deal with stuff they don't want to deal with in their family of origin. They have to deal with people they don't like that are mean to them or maybe even bully them in school or uh, in their workplace or in any, any other way that they're serving. They do not have to deal with that in a church. They don't have to come here and let someone talk down to them or to criticize their efforts in volunteering. They don't, ha they don't have to do that. So they say, okay, I'm just not going to go because I don't need that in my life. But here's the thing. Everyone wants to be known and loved and respected for who they are. Every person in the world wants that. Me included. I long to be my true self in front of you and to have you love me for who I am, not for who you want your pastor to be. But you say, we see what you're doing. We see who you are. We see the things that you care about and how God made you. And we're willing to work with you to bring about the best future possible. I want that. I know that each one of you wants that. And that's why Peter says, Rid yourselves of all, all insincerity. Get rid of it. Fight hard against that insincerity that's within you. Get it out of here. Guile, hypocrisy, slander, gossip. That going, I'm going to go home today. Don't you dare do this. Larry, I'm going to go home today and I'm going to say what I really felt about the pastor's sermon today. I'm going to say... Get rid of all that. If not for yourself, do it for the love of the church so that instead of putting up masks with one another, we can say, okay, I know that we're good. And if we're good, we can do anything. We can embark on any change that comes. And that does not mean that we're going to disagree, that we're not going to disagree, or that we're not going to even fight sometimes. But it means that there is no way that you're getting away from me, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, she's not trying to get away from me. There's no way you're getting away from me. And this is especially important when we endure crisis and hardship. Because if uh, uh, Jerry and Linda, I'll pick on you for a little bit. Okay? <laughs> if when we come here, we just kind of pretend to love each other, 
and then a real crisis hits me, say Gina is in a devastating car accident, and I know that you kind of know me, but not really know me, do you think I want you to come over to my house and cry in front of you? No chance. <laughs> no chance. And so sometimes that's what happens is people go through this really difficult time in their life and they're embarrassed to come to the church and risk crying or not being their best self that they're so used to being when they come here. They say, well, if I'm not wearing this mask, I don't want, I don't want anybody to see me in this weak position of real suffering and mourning. That is super hard. So this kind of genuine loving relationship that Peter is calling us to that's rooted in Christ's command to us, this is something that we must build in to the foundation of our church. Just like a foundation built on stone rather than a foundation built on sand so that when we endure hardship, whether in our personal life or in the life of our church as we endure big changes in our culture, say, it doesn't matter. Because I know that we love each other. And if we're going to live in this kind of community, we can endure anything. Deb, you and I could even be martyred. And I would still feel good. Because we're like this. See, see, friends, that's where we gain real strength. Real strength that can help us to endure anything that we would face in, this church, in, in the life of the church. And each one of us is responsible for fighting against this battle of insincerity within ourselves. That's why I try to be so honest with you about my journey in that, is so that you don't receive it as a, like I'm lecturing you, that, I don't, that, that I'm somehow holier than thou, and I, I promise you I'm not. But I'm committed to what Peter says of ridding yourselves, getting it out of here, get rid of that fake stuff, or that gossipy stuff, or that bitterness that builds within your heart, find a way to get rid of that. Here's a way to process all the things that I'm talking about. Ad Council's seen this. This is uh, an exercise called the Jahari Window. Now, you probably can't read it, and that's okay. But it's going to help me to guide you through it. This uh, tool is kind of like a coaching tool, and it helps people to kind of understand themselves better. And it's called Jahari because it's the, the two guys who came up with this uh, diagram combine their names together. <laughs> That's all it is. So they say there's, there's four kind of quadrants that are involved in our understanding of ourselves and, and who we are to other people. The first quadrant is called uh, is known to others. So this is like our front stage self. So like who you know me to be as the pastor or even if we ran into each other at Kevin's Market or whatever. Sort of like even if I'm having a ba bad day, like how's it going? Oh, good. You? You know, that's kind of the front stage self uh, known to others. That's your best self. That might be who people see you to be on Facebook. Uh, the next quadrant down here is unknown to others. Things that you don't know about me that I struggle with on a daily basis. That's kind of your backstage life. Think of your secrets. Think of the things that you would be embarrassed about if others knew. Not necessarily stuff that you have no control over, 
but maybe certain behaviors, like the things that you say around your coworkers or different groups of friends. Would you be embarrassed if I found out about those things or if other people here at this church found out about those things? That gives you an idea of this quadrant of kind of your backstage life. Up here is unknown to self, which is all of us. And our sinful nature hides the things that we don't know about ourselves, kind of hidden sins. So sometimes other people can recognize those things in us. So if we're starting to have a bad day or, or a bad week, we might start to say and do things that aren't typical for our character. And if we're in loving relationship with one another and creating space for those loving relationships, we can say, Sandy, what's going on with you? I know that that's not the kind of thing you would normally say. I wonder if you know that that's kind of, kind of the vibe that you're putting out. So the question we need to ask ourselves in this quadrant is who even would be willing to speak into our lives in that kind of a way? Who would tell us, like, you know, that's not you. I know that's not you. So there must be something going on. And then we don't just sit in guilt and shame in that place, but instead we build one another up. We pray for one another. We spend time for one another. We say, I'm committed to being in this relationship with you. And that's probably the most important aspect of small groups, which I talk about all the time. Because it's really, really hard to develop any kind of depth of relationship if we only see each other here on Sundays or even Wednesdays. But we need a space where we can actually focus our conversation to things, more, to things deeper than whatever, the crops, our jobs, the weather, you know, uh, anything that's in the news, and to get more into, well, John Wesley would ask the question, how is it with your soul? And let that guide your conversation. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life right now? You know, what are your growing edges? And the last quadrant here is what's called unknown to self and others. It's like, we don't know what's going on personally, and nobody else knows what's going on. And that's really the mystery. And uh, the person who taught me this, and is kind of my pseudo-coach, said that this is mystery and uncertainty down here, what's unknown to any of us. And the more that we can tolerate this section of uncertainty, the bigger our life gets. Because if we can tolerate uncertainty and mystery, we can actually grow in faith. We can grow in trust of God. We can take risks as a church. We can love people that maybe are different from us. And we can grow. But if we're kind of stuck in this backstage quadrant where we're sort of hiding our true selves, well, we can't really actually even grow in faith. And we can't experience deep, meaningful relationships with one another. Uh, and so we can't really actually show anybody any kind of an impact of being a Christian because we're just kind of hiding. Again, I was thrilled when, I, when this was presented to me because I thought it was brilliant. I can see, okay, I can kind of have a gauge of where I need to grow. And it's constant that I realize that. So the goal... What Paul is talking about, or Peter, sorry, is that this known to others, front stage person that we are, and unknown to others, 
would actually be the same. And that's what we call living a life of integrity. And as I've said before, that's my goal for you as a pastor, is that if we had dinner together, you wouldn't say, um, well, gosh, he's such a different guy when he's up there preaching than he is when we're sitting down talking. Or, you know, I have a buddy that I grew up with that lives uh, 10 miles away from me now. Uh, We've known each other since we were 10, and he's helped me to refine this and say, well, I shouldn't really be saying anything to him or, or, or projecting anything to him that I wouldn't to you. That's what it means to live a life of integrity. And you can say, well, I don't want to do that, Pastor, and I'll say, well, that's fine. But this is the life that God calls us to, is a life of 100% integrity. Because if we're not being different than the world around us, then what are we really doing? What kind of message are we sending by the kind of people that we are? By the way that we love one another, we have, to, we have to be able to love one another first. So just a quick example of this is as I grew in grace and integrity, I started to share some of the things that people didn't know about me at Lake City UMC. I mean, some of the things were sins from the past that I was deeply ashamed of. Some of those things were current behaviors, addictions that I was not able to shake on my own. And it was really freaky when I had to say those things out loud to another person. But you know what happens when we say something out loud? We own it as reality. And when another person can sit with you in your reality and show you and tell you, I still love you. I still want to walk with you in this life of faith. There's real power and energy in that space that we then can harness as a church to bring hope and healing to the world. Why do I share this with you? Because the very things that you can do within your own heart and within the life of this church are the things that will bring hope to the world that we all are so longing for. It starts within our own heart. It starts with us taking just a small step of faith here in this church, which in our Alpha group, This summer, we've seen that. We've experienced that. Have we not, Joanne? We've experienced that together. And it is inspiring. As we dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit together, we clarify our purpose as a church, and then we can have courage to take steps forward. Now imagine, friends, if this church, Cornerstone UMC, where our vision, our, our, our mission statement is building community by following Jesus. Now imagine if that sense of community was rooted in this understanding of us being precious in God's eyes and that we were committed to reminding each other of that truth. That was our our primary commitment. And then we carry that out into the world. Everyone wants to feel known and loved and respected They don't necessarily experience that in any place in their life except maybe the relationships of the people they're closest with. But now if you experience that here in our church, you can bring that into your workplace, into your community engagements, into your other relationships. You can bring that sense of being known and loved 
regardless of what's going on in a person's life and help them to begin this, this lifelong journey of becoming like Christ. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, if we can reclaim this peace as a building block, not only will we feel renewed and encouraged and inspired, but we will inspire others. Not because of any outward element of our uh, church functioning here, but because they will experience the healing grace, the presence of the Holy Spirit that is given to each person when they invite Jesus into their lives. It's my sincere prayer, friends, that we could embark on this journey with one another with nobody condemning each other or saying that you really need to get your life together. But that we, that we could remind one another of this truth by our behavior towards each other, that we are precious in Christ's eyes. I hope you'll join me as we go on this journey, a life of integrity. Amen. So let's take a look at these reflection questions.